0: Thank you, Brother Rob. The joy of having them live with me as I get Saturday night concerts uh, where they're practicing these things. If you have your Bibles open to Acts 16, we're going to look at several familiar passages of Scripture this morning, and they all deal with the same person in some different circumstances, but there's an an attitude uh, that the Apostle Paul had that was a part of his life that I want to draw upon today. It is time change Sunday. Generally, that's the day we're all moaning just a little bit about the loss of sleep. Uh, parents of small kids are especially uh, kind of dreading the next couple of days as as the little ones get adapted to all of this. We're at that time of year where even though we've had a mild winter. We are totally ready for it to be over. I'm not sure about the rest of you. I wanted to get it, get it nice outside where it's going to stay that way and go outside and do things. And right now we just never know from day to day. Uh, you know, we got people like Mrs. Clack and Mrs. Urbain, praying for snow, and we have no idea why uh, that type of thing. And, and believe it or not, uh, statistically, this is a time of year where a lot of people seem to struggle more uh, with depression and. and And just kind of facing life uh, with the, the, the fortitude and the joy that they normally would. And so I want to address the subject this morning of the power of praising people. The power of praising people. Again, we're going to look at three portions of Scripture that all deal with the Apostle Paul. We are in Acts 16. A few months ago, we studied this in our Wednesday night Bible study. So for many of you, this will be familiar territory. Paul has traveled into the city of Philippi. It is his first venture on the European continent, and he has shared the gospel. He has seen some people get saved. A lady named Lydia, a very wealthy woman, got saved. Uh, Then Paul encountered a lady... Uh, that the Bible says was possessed of a demon, a devil, and this demon gave her the ability to tell the future. She was owned as a slave by people who, who banked on what, what this demon allowed her to do, and they were making money. People were paying to get their fortune told. Well, in long story short, Paul cast the demon out of this young lady. Uh, she, we believe, trusted Christ as her Savior. But once the demon was gone, so was the ability to tell the future. Well, her bosses got mad about that. They lost their source of revenue. And so they they just said, we got to stop this guy. He's costing us money. And they got the whole city of Philippi in an uproar. It's amazing, they didn't have social media, they didn't have cell phones, anything like that, but word of mouth was so, uh, so it was their, their way of getting things around and pretty soon the news traveled fast and they're down before the magistrates and the accusations are flying and all of these people are in an, in an uproar. Uh, verse 22, we read with Brother Tim, the multitude rose up together against them. This is Paul and, and his friend Silas Um, And the magistrates rent off their clothes. I mean, literally ripped their clothing off their body. Uh, It was a violent action and commanded to beat them, probably with a cane, possibly a cat of nine tails, most likely with a cane. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, They cast them into the prison. It's not the idea they led them away to jail. The idea of casting is they were being shoved uh, through this mob. They may have been shoved to the ground, hauled back up, shoved forward, charging the jailer to keep them safely. I mean, they're, they're letting the jailer know these are violent criminals. These are dangerous men. And, and the jailer is, is, is more or less be, being given carte blanche. You do whatever you want to to these guys. And who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison. Now, these aren't members of a cartel. They're not drug dealers. They're not serial killers. They're preachers. They're sharing Christ. They've not stolen from anyone. Uh, they've They've not broken any law. They've committed no crime except leading people to Christ and seeing people freed from the bondage of sin. But they are treating them worse than they would if they had been the head of a cartel. When it says he thrust them into the inner prison, again we get the idea of force and violence He's not just saying this way, gentlemen. We're, we're just seeing the idea of a man who's probably an ex-Roman soldier, just literally throwing them bodily into the cell, maybe slamming them into the wall, that type of thing. The Bible says he made their feet fast in the stalks. He didn't just chain them. They're fast in the stalks in such a way these guys can't even lay down and straighten their legs out. Their knees are going to be bent. They're beaten. They're bloody. They've got wounds all over the place, and and they're they're put in this jail. Um, and they, did, they committed no crime, and they know they haven't it's unfair it's wrong. there, there is nothing right about this entire thing. Um, we learn later in the chapter Paul and Silas are both Roman citizens. Rome had some strange laws. If you're a Roman citizen, there were certain things, even if you broke the law, they couldn't do to you. You were protected. Um, and so they're Roman citizens, and the way they were being treated, it was against the law to do that to a Roman citizen. So it's like adding insult to injury. So here they are in this situation, they're in prison, they've done right, they've not done wrong, they've been lied about, they've been mistreated, they've been beaten, they are bleeding, they are wounded, they are are labeled, everything that would frustrate and anger us. And then we come to verse 25, and at midnight, at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. What an incredible response. And I know we've touched on this before, but sometimes for me, the most familiar parts of the Bible are the parts that I need to pay attention to. Did you know that the subject of praise is one of the most often repeated subjects in all of the Bible, both Old and New Testament? We sing the scripture song, O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. You've heard me tell you that that one verse in its entirety is the most often repeated verse in all of the Bible. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. You will find the subject of praise all through the word of God. In heaven, do you understand that's what we're going to be doing for eternity? We're going to be singing the praises of God and singing things like, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Did you know in heaven there'll be no criticizing? There'll be no complaining. There'll be no griping. There'll be no murmuring. Some of you are going to be bored to tears. When you get there, it's going to be about praise. It's, it's, it's there throughout the word of God. Keep your place in Acts 16 and go to Psalm 150. Exactly what is praise? Praise is a deliberate verbal expression of the goodness of God. It is deliberate. It is something we do on purpose. And it is not something we think in our heart. It is something that we express with our mouths. Psalm 150, the last five chapters of Psalms all start with the words, praise ye the Lord. And they're all about the reasons and the ways in which we ought to praise the Lord. Psalm 150, verse one, praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and organs. Praise him upon the loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high sounding cymbals. Can I just stop there for a moment? There's nothing here about whispered prayer. Have you ever ever seen an an orchestra and the guy playing the cymbals? When he does his thing, everybody knows he just did his thing. Bam! And if you are sleeping, you are wide awake. And this is the idea that our praise needs to be fervent, and it it needs to be excited, and it needs to be bold, and it needs to be joyful. Verse 6, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Here's a question. I know I didn't give you a heads up on it. You didn't have time to study or research. But I'm going to ask it anyhow. How many of you are breathing today? How many? Okay. You're breathing today. According to verse number six, what are you also supposed to be doing? If you're breathing, you're supposed to be praising. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Did you know we cannot speak without breathing? We speak because air goes over the vocal cords, our breath does, and it vibrates them, and that's where the words come from. Praise is a verbal expression. I understand there are times in my heart that I'm feeling thankful and I'm rejoicing in in the things of the Lord or the goodness of the Lord or an answer to prayer, but praise is where I take it from the heart and I express it to those that are around me. When we go back to Acts chapter 16, that's exactly what Paul and Silas are doing. At midnight, again, verse 25, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. You realize they weren't alone in that jail that night. We have no idea how big the prison was, how many other individuals were in there, but you realize they were all in the same place. They may not have all suffered the same kind of indignity and and torture and punishment that Paul and Silas did, but I'll guarantee you this, none of them wanted to be there. Every one of them wished they were someone somewhere else. They were all thinking about their nice, soft bed at home. They were all, all missing their families. Even if they were guilty of whatever crime put them in there, they wanted out of there, and some of them were probably still pro- professing their innocence. Uh, there were a whole bunch of people in that, that place that night, but according to the Word of God, what we know is there are only two of them that were praising the Lord. It won't surprise me the rest of them were complaining. I'm sure one of the things they were complaining about, hey guys, it's midnight, can you like turn it off for a while? But they were all complaining about the food and complaining about the accommodations and complaining about the treatment, complaining about how unfair life was. And here are two men battered and bruised and beaten and, and treated with such indignity. And they're singing praises unto God, and it wasn't just like, you know, their Thanksgiving testimony, I want to thank Jesus for saving me, and we sit down. It went on and on and on. At midnight, the praise ceremony is still going from these guys. It's just flowing out of them. If we'd have been there, would we have been praising with Paul and Silas or complaining with the rest of the convicts? I'm I'm not even going to guess where you might be, but I kind of think I know where I might be because I know me. I know my first initial reaction to things is not always, well, Lord, I don't understand this, but I know you're a good God and pray. I, I, that's not always me. So uh, here, here you see Paul and Silas in the worst of moments praising God. That didn't, that didn't negate their trouble. Okay? Um, They they weren't ignoring their their problem and issue, but they, they were still in that dark hour, that difficult place, realizing we still serve a good God. We are still saved. We are on our way to heaven. The Bible is still true. Jesus is still God's son. God still lives within us. He'll never leave nor forsake us. And they were praising God for all the things that were much bigger and better than the jail or the treatment they had at the hands of other people. Praising God. Second place I want you to go to is the book of Philippians. In this chapter, he's writing to the same people where he started the church in Acts chapter 16. Maybe the jailer who got saved that night along with his family is one of those who received this letter. Philippians chapter 1, Paul writes, again, familiar portion of Scripture in verse 12, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. So word had reached them in Philippi that Paul was going through some trouble again. Philippians is written from Rome. He is in prison again. He is in prison and he'll never get out this time. He is in a Roman jail uh, for the same problem. He was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he is suffering for his faith. It is persecution. The Roman prison was notorious for its harsh conditions. It, it, oftentimes, if friends or family members did not bring food into the prison, uh, uh, an inmate could possibly starve to death because they didn't care whether they fed you or not. This particular prison, its proximity to the Colosseum allowed them to hear the roaring of the lions and the, and the cries of agony of people that were dying in the Colosseum under persecution and, and everything else that went on in that day and age, not just against Christians, but against pretty much anybody. Those prisoners lived in terror, they lived underground, they lived in darkness, they lived in cold, they lived in poverty, uh, like you and I don't even comprehend. So Paul is writing to them, somehow they heard all about that way over in Greece, in, in the northern part up in Philippi, and Paul said, I want you to understand something, these things that have befallen me are the worst things anybody should ever have to live with. No human being should be forced to live like this. And if there was a God in heaven and he really cared, he wouldn't let us here. Is that what he wrote? Not even a little bit. Look at it again. I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ, meaning my chains, I'm, I'm, I'm in handcuffs all the time, are manifest in all the palace. That's That's Nero's palace. Nero, one of the vilest people to ever rule any country in history and in all other places. So here's Paul in prison. Here's this this one single Christian guy in prison, uh, unjustly, suffering ways you and I don't even comprehend. He says, but over in Nero's palace, everybody in that palace is aware of what's happened, and it's even spread out of the palace all around Rome. They're talking about this. He said, And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. A bunch of Christians were already here and they saw me standing true and they, they heard me telling Nero how to be saved and, and all of that. And they thought, well, if he can do it, so can we. He said, everybody in Romans turned, in Rome is turned into a soul winner. Everybody got over their fear and they're all talking about Jesus. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife. Some are making fun of me. Some are making fun of my message. Some also of goodwill. Some are doing the right thing. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. So here's this man in prison again, and he's turned around saying, do you realize that even here, even through all this, God is still doing an amazing thing. Everywhere you go in Nero's palace, they're all talking about Jesus Christ. Oh, some are talking him down and others are talking him up, but everybody's getting to hear this name. He he is the topic of conversation. And some people are getting bold in their witness and undoubtedly people are getting saved and and all of those things he said. And I'm just, I just want you people to know I am rejoicing in the goodness of God. If that were us, would that be how we would see things? Here is a man that is not just praising the Lord on the good days. Six years ago today, we got the phone call from Brother Rob that Nathan and Gwen had finally arrived. Was it in the morning, 12.08 in the morning? Yeah, it was like, why do they have to come then? Why can't they come in the afternoon, so, but we didn't really care. We were awake. We knew they were in there. We knew it was, it was gonna be soon and this was gonna be the day. And uh, I just looked the other day at the picture of Trina and I that was taken at the hospital later uh, on, on six years ago today and I had Nathan in my arms, and she had Gwen in her arms, and we're sitting there together looking at our little grandchildren for the first time. Uh, I don't think it's in the picture, but after a few minutes, we switched, and I had Gwen, and she had Nate. We have a picture you showed me last night uh, of of us sitting on the couch at home uh, holding them as just little tiny infants. It's hard to believe they could be that, that little. What a great day. How many remember such a day? I remember it with my own kids but I don't know there's something even better about your grandkids because you know with your grandkids if they make a mess you just hand them back you know that type of thing but it was it was such an amazing day and Trina and I were so thankful and we we drove back home from Middletown and we were just praising the Lord and we were so excited and and I know Trina was was calling her mom in Ohio to tell her mom and dad about all of this and it was just it was just an amazing time and by the way we ought to praise God it ought to be natural to praise Praise God, though some people forget to even do that and say thank you on the good days. Paul's praise is up at a whole new level. He's not rejoicing and praising God in a great moment. He's he's praising God in spite of the worst of moments. And he's saying, and I rejoice, yea, and therein I will rejoice. I am not going to stop praising God. One last place, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians 12. Again, another familiar passage of Scripture. Paul is writing another letter, and he's giving a bit of a testimony. In verse 7 of this chapter, he said, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. Let me help you understand what he's saying. God had revealed a lot of truth to the Apostle Paul. He had penned many of the books of the New Testament that we read, several that we've looked at this morning. He had started churches all over the Roman Empire. His name was much set by. God had used him to work some miracles. One night, we'll study it uh, upcoming in the book of Acts. Uh, Paul was preaching, and uh, uh, he was preaching kind of long-winded. And it was about midnight or so, and he was still going. You should never complain about how long I might go. He's still going about midnight, and uh, it was a multi-storied building of some type that he was in. And up on the third level, uh, there was a young man named Eutychus who was leaning against an open window, and he fell asleep and he tumbled out of the window and died. That'll mess up a church service. By the way, that, that, the, the moral of that story, don't sleep in church, okay? But, but he did. Well, uh, Paul just went out and, and, and touched the young guy, and God raised Eutychus from the dead, and he brought him back in, and then Paul preached until dawn. Instead of saying, you know, I think probably that's a sign that we ought to wrap things up or He said, man, I'm ready to go again, and he's just out there preaching. Paul had been used of God in, in ways that the average person was not And because of that, pride became a possible problem. Isn't it amazing how we do a good job at something and all of a sudden we think we're all that in a bag of chips? Or we, we do something that someone else cannot do or did not do and suddenly we think that we are really something important or something special. And pride has a way of creeping in and God hates pride. These six six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, and the first on the list is a proud look. Well, Paul was running that risk of getting proud. None of us are exempt from that, and God saw it happen, so here's what God did. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. That meant some kind of physical Ailment or disability never tells us what it is. Some think it was a deforming uh, disease of the eyes. Nobody knows for sure. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. I cannot speak for you, I can only speak for me. I pray better when I'm in trouble, I pray more when I'm hurting. I pray more fervently when I have a problem. That's me. Um, So God put Paul into a situation, allowed some physical uh, disability to enter into his life. And the whole reason it was going to keep Paul humble, because God knew if Paul gets proud, God wouldn't use him anymore. So Paul said, for this thing, verse 8, I besought the Lord thrice. He prayed about it three times. I would have done the same thing, and you should have done the same, that it might depart from me. How many like migraines? How many like the flu? Okay. Anybody like cancer? See, there's a lot of things that we come along in life we don't like about, and we pray, God, I, I, take it away. Take it away. Take it away take it away. And Paul did exactly that as he should have. But notice this verse 9. And he's talking about the Lord said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee for my strength is made perfect in weakness. God's message, let me just sort of sum it up to you, was no. I'm not taking it away. No. Sometimes that is God's answer. No. No. But Paul, I want you to understand my grace. Grace is God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. For by grace are ye saved through faith. We cannot save ourselves from our sin. We can try to be as good as we want to be, but it doesn't change the fact that we are all sinners in the eyes of God. If it were possible... For us to never sin from this moment till the day we die it doesn't change the fact we're already sinners. By the way, it is not possible in this, in this flesh. We are all sinners. We can, we can join every church in town. doesn't change the fact that we're sinners. Grace says you can't save yourself, so God has provided a way of salvation for you, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what Romans 6.23 tells us. And that's what grace does. Um, I got saved 50 some years ago this coming August I guess 51 years ago I didn't get saved because became a Baptist because I didn't get saved in a Baptist church I didn't get saved by turning over a new leaf I didn't get saved by writing my name on a card I didn't get saved by getting baptized I got saved because I understood as a sinner I couldn't save myself that my only hope of salvation was the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ that he did for me and he died in my place and that his death was the only payment God would accept for my sin and as a 14 year old boy I I received Jesus Christ as Savior I called upon him and I didn't pay for it I didn't earn it I received it as a gift a gift is freely given and it is freely received that's what grace does And our entire Christian life is supposed to be lived by drawing on the grace of God. Uh, God said, Paul, I've sent this thorn in the flesh to you to keep you humble, and I'm going to leave it there. I'm not taking it away because you're on the verge of becoming a proud man, and I'll have to set you aside. But I want you to be assured of this. Life is going to be hard for you from this time forward. Every day is going to be more difficult than it used to be. But my grace will always be sufficient. I will give you the strength to get through every day. I'll give you the wisdom. I'll give you the hope. I'll give you the encouragement. That's what my grace does. My grace is sufficient for thee. Now, if God told you no, how would you do with that? Most people don't like the word no. I have seen adults throw amazing fits that would would rival that of any two-year-old on earth when when they hear the word no. But Paul said totally the opposite of that. Look at verse nine. Most sullenly, therefore, will I rather endure my infirmities so that God's... Get in his way. Is that what he says? Rich loves it when I misquote the Bible. Look at this. Most, verse 9, most, what's the next word, church? Gladly. Therefore. Will I rather, what? Glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Verse 10, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities In reproaches, that's when people say bad things against you or falsely accuse you. In necessities, in persecution, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. When I'm at my weakest, that's when the grace of God floods in me. And the reality is that's when I'm the strongest. So here's Paul on the third occasion. This time it's a physical calamity that's afflicting him, and rather than crying the blues and God's not fair, and come other people don't have to go through this, and I've lived my whole life for God, and then He lets this. Paul doesn't do that. He just says, "I'm rejoicing in my infirmities because it's keeping me where God can use me. It's putting me into a place where God can keep on blessing me, and I'd rather have the blessing of God than good health." What an amazing spirit! What an amazing spirit. i oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good. Now, I want you to understand and draw with me some, some uh, uh, applications from these three passages of Scripture. Acts 16, Philippians 1, and then again, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The first thing I see is that the praising Christians, that's Paul and Silas in Acts 16 and Paul and the rest of it, they're the only ones that were happy. Did you get that? They're the only ones that were happy. In the prison that night, there were other prisoners there, and I'm guaranteeing you not a one of them were happy until God sent the earthquake and and everything else that followed after that, Paul and Silas were the only ones happy, and they were still in chains. Their feet were still in stocks. Their backs were still bleeding. It was dark. They were hungry. They were still living with the indignities that, that had been forced upon them by the magistrates, but they still had a happiness and a joy and a peace in the Lord that the world cannot understand. Have you ever seen a happy critic... Have you ever seen a happy complainer? Have you ever seen a happy grump? The answer is no, you haven't seen it. Now, I realize some people don't seem to be happy unless they find fault. We always joke around here that we decorate, put things together. We always leave something askew so the critical people can enjoy it as well. And that's just a joke, but it's a sad commentary on the human condition, isn't it? You've never seen a happy grump. You've never seen a happy critic. You know who you see happy? The happy people are the ones that are given praise to God. And some of the happiest people you'll ever meet, you're gonna meet them in a cancer ward. Did you hear what I just said? Some of the happiest people you're ever going to meet are the ones going through the deepest trials who have a grasp on the truth of God. And they know that God loves them, that God is good, that God is not going to leave them or forsake them, that even in their trial, God's got a reason and God's got a purpose for that. They're the ones that have a joy that the world doesn't understand. May I share what happened on Friday? Everybody knows that Rob and Anna have this awesome little boy named Tommy. Tommy just turned eight in December. Uh, my namesake. And and, uh, I figured another six months I'll be getting his hand-me-downs. So buy him nice stuff. (laughs) He's just a, he's just this big giant boy. And Tommy has autism. And how many know Tommy? And uh, Tommy is generally a happy little guy, and he likes people. But Tommy, he, if he gets overstimulated, he, he just doesn't know how to express things, and sometimes he melts down, and and and, and that type of thing. And he's not always entirely a, a appropriate and quiet as, as as he ought to be. And. And uh, Rob and Anna were gifted, that little boy, and they're such good parents, and they are so patient with him, and they love him, and they spend so much time teaching him and all of those kind of things. But the truth of the matter is, no parent says, Lord, would you give me an autistic child? Uh, That that wasn't on their plans with Tommy, but that was on, on God's plan. This last Friday, Brother Rob and the teenagers, some teenage guys were down in New Haven the area we run our bus route at uh, on teen soul winning, and they were knocking on some doors, and they uh, uh, apparently, and and correct me if I get this wrong, there was a door that said, you you know, masks required that type of thing, and the teen guys were a little worried about that. None of them had masks. They didn't want to knock on the door and and have somebody send their dog on them or something like that, and they, they just weren't sure how to handle it. So Brother Rob said, I'll go ahead and take that. I mean, he's big enough. He can beat up any dog that comes along or whatever. And it turns out that the lady that answered the door, the mask issue never came up. She was a very nice lady and so forth. And in the conversation, it came out, she said, I have a seven year old boy and he's autistic. And Rob said, I have an eight year old boy and he's autistic. And there was an opportunity that opened up, and that lady plans to come to church with her family. Do you understand that of all the people in this church, he's about the only one that could have made that visit? Do you understand that when we decide we're finally going to trust God, even with our trials, we will find out along the way that God had some reasons we could have never planned on, we could have never worked them out on our own, but you just have to step back and say, that was God. Brother Rob shared that with me yesterday morning before the Sony meeting, and I think that might have been what I exactly said, that was God. You see, when when we decide that we're even with our trials, I'm still going to praise God. I'm still going to rejoice in the goodness of God. We have a level of happiness that the unsaved world is going through a whole lot worse than we are, but they don't have the hope that we do. They need to be able to see that that somebody's got something that I need. The praising people were the only ones that were happy. Number two, the praising Christians were the only ones that had a good testimony. In Acts chapter 16, after the earthquake, the doors were opened uh, by the force of the earthquake. And the Bible says that all of the chains fell off the hands of all of the prisoners. Not just Paul and Silas, you know, but Bubba Jay in the, in the cell next door and, and all the rest of that. Uh, and so forth. But nobody left. The jailer, at first he thought, uh, my prisoners have escaped and, and under Roman law, he would be executed for letting his prisoners get away. And he got a sword out and he was going to take his own life. And Paul yelled out in the darkness, go, do thyself no harm. We are all here. And when that jailer ran in, the people he went to first were the two guys that were praying and praising God all night long. He didn't run down to the guys next door that were complaining and griping ever since they showed up. He went to the two guys that were praising God and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Do you have such a vibrant testimony for Christ that your coworkers, your neighbors, your family members, when they're going through a heartache, a trial or a crisis would come to you and say, hey, could you pray for me? You seem to know God, could you help me? For four and a half years, I've been walking through the gym over in Meriden. Um, right now, I'm the only amputee that is there. So I sort of stick out like a sore thumb. Most everybody, even if they don't know my name, they recognize me. Uh, they, 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 they know when I'm there and that type of thing. Most of them don't know much about my story. But you have no idea how many times someone just come up and talk to me, and they'll just say... Um, you, you you look like you've been through some things. Um, how do you get through it? How do you get through You always seem up. You always seem happy. How do you get through it? There are a number now that know that I'm not only a Christian, but I'm a Baptist pastor. I wear my Heritage Baptist Church shirt. I wear the T-shirt with my wife saying, God is always good on it, uh, that type of thing. And uh, you'd be surprised how many people, uh, I remember one time a man like, about your size, six and a half feet tall, uh, came up and he actually sat down beside me. He said, Can I talk to you for a minute? I said, Sure, what's going on? He said, My mom was just diagnosed with cancer. And I don't even know how to, I don't even know how to process it. I don't know how to help her. Would you pray for my mom? That's the kind of testimony I want to have. But I'll never I'll not have that, and you won't have that. If the only things that come out of our mouth are complaint and criticizing and grumping and griping and all the rest of it, nobody's drawn to sour. People are drawn to sweetness. They're the ones that had a good testimony. Number three, the praising Christians were the only ones that were used by God. They, They were the only ones who were happy. They're the only ones that had a good testimony and they're the only ones who were used by God. Do you understand? Here we are nearly 2,000 years from the time that these events happened and they were penned on the pages of Scripture for us. And we're still talking about Paul and Silas praising God in the prison. We're still drawing strength and encouragement from Paul rejoicing about what God had done through his imprisonment to those Christians in Philippi. We're still looking at 2 Corinthians 12 and the man dealing with some kind of a physical disability and how he drew on God's grace. And he had such a joy in his spirit about that and we're we're learning from it because this was a man who learned that God is always good and you trust him and he made his praise a verbal thing and we're being blessed. There's somebody in your sphere of influence that needs the blessing of God. And one of the ways they're going to get that blessing is through your spirit of praise. I'm not minimizing whatever trial you're going through. I I know many in this room and you're going through some very deep waters. Please don't ever think I'm minimizing your trial Any more than I'd want you to minimize mine, I I would never do that. But I have learned the hard way that complaining doesn't make my day better. It does not make my burden lighter. It doesn't at all. But praise has a way of turning it all around. Praise puts God back on the throne. Praise gives God first place. Praise puts the spotlight on him and the focus on him. And when I can praise him like that, it becomes a visible thing that others can see. The power of a praising people. Wouldn't it be amazing if that's what we became? In all honesty, Dr. Phil moment. How many of you seriously, you have something in life right now that you could very easily complain about? I have several. Several. It's hard, isn't it? And sometimes they're, they don't go away. Sometimes they don't change. We all have them. Well, we have a picture, though, from the Bible that that doesn't have to be our downfall. That doesn't have to be the end of our story. If somewhere along the line, we will seek the grace of God and let God change us into a praising Christian. You will be a blessing to yourself. You will be a blessing to God. And you'll be a blessing to everyone around you. And You will find a strength in that praise. It's not found anywhere else. The power of appraising people. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, how many could say, Pastor?